Welcome to the Matt Bernier Show, part of In The Money Media Network. My name is Matt Bernier. You can follow me on Twitter, at Bernier underscore Matt. Today's Thursday, April the 20th, 2023. It's episode 157 of this podcast. However you listen, thank you for doing so. Many ways to find the show, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, and themoneypodcast.com. You can also listen over on YouTube. While you're over there, please subscribe to the In The Money Media channel. Make sure the bell icon's lit up so you get notified when new content has been uploaded. This time of year, really all year, but this time of year especially, it's all hell breaking loose. We've got videos, podcasts, you name it, from everybody, run of the gambit. Anybody that's part of the stable is getting the call. So plenty of great content with In The Money Media right now, both audio and video. You can find that over on YouTube. But if you're somebody that just likes to listen on your phone, as many of us do, whether you're getting ready to go to work, you're in the car, you're working out, you're doing whatever, uh, please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you take your podcasts in. Whether it's on the phone, whether it's on the computer, whether it's somewhere else cool that I don't know about. Uh, just a bit of an idea of what to expect going forward. We have two weeks, effectively, until the Kentucky Derby. And this week's show is going to be nothing pertaining to this year's race. But it will be pertaining to the Kentucky Derby and my history betting the race. And I'm curious to hear other people's history betting the race. I know some folks have bet it many, many years beyond mine, but a combination of, of both gambling and just picks in general. The first derby I bet was in 2010, and I've been betting and covering the races more or less ever since. And it's fun, I think, always to go back and look at races where you were brilliant and races where you were an ass, and you just were wrong, wrong, wrong. Because if you can't laugh at yourself, what's the point of doing any of this? So that's what this week's going to be about because we've talked about the Oaks. We've talked about the Derby quite a bit. I'm going to take next week off. And then the final pod for this show, before the Derby anyway, will be week of Derby. Not sure what day. Probably a Monday, Tuesday sort of pod. I think they're drawing both races on Monday. So it'll probably be lean more toward Tuesday. And all that show is going to be is my assessment and sort of pick for the Kentucky Oaks and the Kentucky Derby. You can find me from now until that week on FanDuel TV, and even through that week for a little bit. I'll be at Churchill Downs doing some of the racing there. Then on Friday, Saturday, NBC for the Kentucky Oaks and the Kentucky Derby, and then I will be off for a week following that, and I think the pod will probably follow the same kind of path as well. You'll get a Derby pod from me. You'll get a Preakness pod and I'll, I'll be kind of um, kind of off the radar a little bit, off the grid for the month of May, trying to sort of hit reset a little bit and go home and take a little bit of time. So this week's show, if you're looking for stuff specifically pertaining to the 2023 Kentucky Derby, unfortunately, I don't have anything to offer you. I just thought this was a nice opportunity to go back and, you know, beat your chest a little bit, but also laugh at yourself. And I think that's the most important thing for anyone. You can both, if you're going to sit there and take the praise, you also have to acknowledge when when your opinion was wrong. I actually, when I went back and just kind of looked through these races, for the, for the most part, I've had a pretty decent derby record. 
I would say even more than decent. It's been a good derby record. There have been a couple of whiffs, no, no doubt about that. Um, but I like to go back, a jaunt down memory lane. So that's what this week's show is going to be. And again, uh, I want to hear your derby memories, your highs, lows, anything in between throughout your history of, of either watching or betting on the Kentucky Derby beneath the video player on YouTube or on Twitter at Bernie or underscore Matt. So 2010 is the first derby that I'm really invested in, not just from a gambling standpoint, but actually truly paying attention to it. Uh, 09 to 10 was kind of the beginning of my horse racing journey. And, you know, you you watch a little bit and you feel like you're starting to pick things up and you go, okay, it's the it's the greatest two minutes in sports. Let's Let's dive into it. And to see both to understand, you know, knowing that it was, it'll be 13 years ago, the, the thought of what was probably going through the head at that point, how that has changed, but also what, what is similar about it still to this day. Super Saver wins the race. He gets Todd Pletcher's first Kentucky Derby victory. I chose, and again, we are here to be, or I am anyway, those of you listening can either admit when you were right and wrong or sit there in denial, uh, I had selected and bet on a horse called Sydney's Candy. Now, Sydney's Candy finished 17th in a field of 20. He went off at just under 10 to 1 odds. And I think it's easy to look back now for the experience that I've gained over the years and say, you know, he probably wasn't the likeliest derby candidate, and it really had nothing to do with the distance piece, which is, I think, the most obvious answer to that sort of quip or, or thought that, you know, he ended up being a brilliant miler on grass. Well, yes. I'm more so looking back at the race saying... There was other proper speed in the race, too, and for sure, he ended up getting into an absolute duel, if my memory serves me correct. Let me see if we can pull up some fractions here for this race. Maybe I can't, but I, I want to say the, the pace was wicked. And in hindsight, now looking back all these years later, the common ground for me is I still maintain, and this was me being probably you know, naive at that point, but, you know, probably worked out all right in the long run, that speed is paramount. Yes, you can have success off the pace, but you need so many things to go your way that you're much better off having a horse that's going to be forward, especially in these longer distance races. So, check mark there, that was good. Um, bad, you also have to be honest and look at the pace scenario and say, great, you're going to be forward, but you're going to be cooking your own goose early on, and that's exactly what happened to a horse like Sydney's Candy. Combine that with he ended up being a grass horse and he ended up being a miler. Uh, my derby introduction was a bit of a cruel one. It was also over a sloppy racetrack, which I have come to learn over the years. I drown on sloppy surfaces, so let's, let's hope, for the sake of hoping, that the first Friday and Saturday in May here in 2023 are not wet tracks, because if they are, in all likelihood... I'm screwed.
we move on to 2011. And this is where things start to change a little bit, both from where I am mentally from a, a gambling and handicapping standpoint, but also you're starting to get a little bit older. I don't have a ton of money. Actually, I have very little money, if we're being honest. But it's enough where I can sit there and say, you know what, I'm going to go to the track, or in this case, Mohegan Sun in Uncasville, Connecticut, and sit in the ballroom, and I can bring $100 with me, or probably closer to 200 And that is my money for the day, to take a shot, and hopefully we're right. Mohegan Sun is a common theme for, for a handful of these. Zach Montoya and company down there. 2011 Kentucky Derby. The winner was Animal Kingdom. The runner-up was the horse that I selected, a horse called Nero, who ran a good second, especially when you know that he had terrible feet in the big picture, and for him to run as well as he did was probably a minor miracle. And I would say a feather in Aspison's cap. I know Steve still has not won the race, but for him to get that horse with such bad feet to run second speaks volumes. But I think the thing that I take away from that year's race, and this was kind of the beginning of my feeling that you can't judge the three-year-olds at that time, at this time of year, and say, this is what they are. It's a good group or it's a bad group. Because this group of horses, at the time, you probably looked at it, or most people did anyway. There's a reason he went off at 21 to 1 and said, Animal Kingdom, what? He's a synthetic horse. How the hell? Like, this has got to be a group of shit sacks. When in reality, Animal Kingdom, I still believe, is one of the more criminally underrated horses of the past decade plus because he could run on anything, and he was equally as effective, and it didn't matter the distance. He was just all racehorse. Nero, unfortunately, we didn't get to see him really beyond this. The third-place finisher in the 2011 Kentucky Derby is a horse called Mucho Macho Man, who went on to become a Breeders' Cup Classic winner. The fourth-place finisher was Shackelford, who went on to, I believe, win the Met Mile, and he won a number of other big stakes races, including the Preakness a couple weeks later. Stay Thirsty ended up turning into a Travers winner. Comet at the top ended up being a graded stakes winner going shorter. And by the way, I know he didn't run in the race, but the horse that scratched week of was Uncle Mo. And we know Uncle Mo's brilliance. Distance, not great. But he was as talented a racehorse as you're ever going to see. So this field ended up being a very, very good group of runners. Hall of Fame worthy? Maybe, maybe not. I mean, again, you, you had a number of grade one, legitimate grade one types that would stack up in any other year. So 2011 was the beginning for me of really, okay, you know, rookie try in 2010, didn't work out. 2011, go down to the casino. We watched the race, me and a few friends. I think I'm a winner at the top of the lane. He gets run down by the synthetic horse. I'm never going to have him. That's fine. But we are, we are at least, we are trending toward kind of figuring things out. Or theoretically figuring things out. Then we move on to 2012. And this is for me personally when things really get spicy. Because in February, 
I'll have another wins the Bob Lewis. And I can't remember which horse it was. But one of the horses that was just in behind, I'll have another, I believe he was just in behind him, ended up dumping the rider. And I'll have another goes off and wins. And I want to say he was 40 to 1, somewhere thereabouts. But he looked good. And I was able to, I was convinced to say, you know what, let's take a shot. You know, we can get down on the future books. And when I made the wager, he was 85 to 1 in February, after the first weekend in February. And then he goes on his run. When I say he goes on his run, I believe he only ran one more time. It was the Santa Anita Derby. He defeated Creative Cause. The two of them dueled down the lane. And then he goes to Churchill Downs. And I am again at Mohegan Sun with the same group that I was with the year before. Tim Provost. I don't know if he listens, but funny story. Provost was, he's not considerably older than us. But he, had, he was a teacher of ours, and we all just stayed in touch. He was a coach for basketball, and we were all kind of connected throughout the years. And we all ended up, you know, being friends at that stage in life. You know, I'm early 20s. Um, he's probably, if I had to guess, 10 years older. And he was somebody that liked to, to bet on the horses. So it was me, him, a couple other guys end up going down. The race is run, and some of you that are listening have, have been to Mohegan Sun, and you've been in the ballroom when the Derby and these other big events are run. And in the past, anyway, depending on how it's been set up, you have these big screens, right? They've got projectors that are up on the walls. But there's usually one giant screen that the big one is put on. Because on the other screens, you'll end up with so, sort of a simulcast kind of feel. You'll get Gulfstream, you'll get you know whoever else is running. And this is also about the time that I realized I needed glasses for distance. It wasn't that I couldn't see anything. It was just that things were a little bit fuzzy. So now you think about, okay, distance, things are a little bit fuzzy. You're watching a race on a projector screen. I don't care how big the screen is. If things are a little bit fuzzy, it's hard to see silks and who's who and who's making these moves. So the race starts. I have this future ticket. Oh, and also this year, um, I am working overnights at a warehouse, at a Home Depot warehouse in Westfield, Massachusetts. Okay, really pulling the curtain back. I've dropped out of college by now. I'm working overnights. I'm trying to figure out what the hell. I could I could probably swear, proper swear, but I, I won't. I'll try to try to keep it to a dull roar. Trying to figure out what I'm going to do going forward in life. What I want to do, this, that, and the other. And uh, a guy that I worked with named Bob, he, when I was talking about horses, he was like, screw it, I'll come. So he was part of the group that was down there. And also, um, my one of my bosses down there was a guy named Tom Keeley. Super nice guy, one of the nicest guys you'll ever meet. And he was deep into the horses. So he ends up down there with his friends. Bob is down there with me, with Tim, and a few other guys. And I'm watching the race, right? And I, I want to say, what was he, number, he was 19, 16, 19? 19. I'll have another, it was number 19. Okay. 
watching the race, Bodie Meister's out there setting sprint fractions, puts away Trinneberg, who, you know, we've all talked about it, goes on to become a Breeders' Cup sprint winner. That's how fast Bodie Meister was early. And turn him for home, I go, this thing is, he's secretariat. He's not, nobody's supposed to go that fast and still be able to find. And then you see he's getting a little bit short at the end of the run. And now here comes a horse rolling up. And I'm just watching him like, oh man, big race from Bodie Meister, but he's not going to be able to seal the deal. And my buddy, Bob, starts hitting me and he goes, that's your horse. And I can't see a goddamn thing. I see the horse, but it's a blur and I can't tell the purple. And then all of a sudden the race is over and they cut to the ISO shot as he rounds, as he goes around the clubhouse turn on the gallop out. And it's the purple and white, the red and silks. I start losing my shit. I see my boss down the corner. He's pointing back at me. And look, big picture, was it a, a, a massive score? No. But for me at that time in life, it was a giant, giant score. And it continued to just kind of build the confidence that, look, especially with the future, say what you will, anybody that sits on a future ticket for months on end, whether it ends up being value or not, just to get to the, to the race is monumental as far as an achievement is concerned. I think of our friend Howard Kravitz from the HHH Racing Pod. He's sitting on a nice Tappet Trice ticket right now. I don't love Tappet Trice for the 2023 Derby, but I wish nothing but the best to Howard and best of luck there. Also, congratulations to Paul Halloran, who was a co-host on that show, who's a Boston guy. He just won the Grade 1 Gamble last weekend. Also, I think of Caleb Keller, who's sitting on a fat, fat future ticket uh, for Angel of Empire. I'm not going to get into the details, but it's a fat ticket. Mission accomplished. You're, you're getting closer anyway. And these guys, again, you got to get lucky. you got to hope that they get to the starting gate. We still have two weeks to go. But the fact that you've even gotten this far is an accomplishment. You smoked these horses out early, you backed them, and here you are. So for all having to go through all this and to win, it was a very sort of, it was a major confidence builder which then really makes the following year that much more preposterous. Many of you have already heard the, the bulk of this story, so I'll give you the Sparknotes version of it. I play in my first tournament. I win it. I go out to Vegas to the NHC, youngest one out there, yada, yada, yada. When we get out there, I have a horse that I want to bet in the future book at the win across the street from where the Treasure Island is located. Those of you that have been out to the NHC or just been to Vegas, I don't even know. Somebody was telling me it, it may not be Treasure Island anymore. I haven't been to Vegas in years. I've never been to Vegas prior to 2013 NHC. I get three of my best friends to come along. I say to them, we get in the night before. We get dinner. We're waiting for one of the other guys who came in super late. Again, none of us are, you know, well, two of them were doing quite well. One of them has got a job where he was making bank right out of the gate. But we wait for this other kid. He shows up, literally shows up, walks with his bags to a roulette table, throws 500 down, loses, and goes, all right, I have to go to bed. And I go, well, that, I'm sure many of you listening have had stories or know people that have gone and done that sort of thing as well. But I say to these guys, there's a horse I want to bet in the future book. Can we go over? And they're like, ah, let's just, you know, let's do it tomorrow. And I go, that's fine. Whatever. 
He's 125 to one. But the reason that I start thinking about it a little bit more after I'm talking to these guys, I go, you know, let's wait and see if the horse runs well. Because if he doesn't, his trainer is old school. They're not going to go on with him. Okay. So we go down there. NHC local time starts around 9 o'clock in the morning, somewhere thereabouts, first post on the East Coast. Get down there. Later on in the day at Gulfstream, Orb is going to run an allowance race. I believe he ran against It's My Lucky Day. I could be wrong. Yeah, it was It's My Lucky Day, I'm pretty sure. And he wins. So I text my friends, go across the street and bet on this horse at 125 to 1. And they tell me to go F myself because they're watching basketball in the sports book and we can do it later before dinner. I have no choice but to say, okay, I don't know anyone. I'm out there. I'm sitting at a table with strangers, all of whom are nice. One guy is convinced that he's the one that told me to go bet on Orb, which is ridiculous but whatever you got to tell yourself to kind of <laughs> give yourself a little bit of a boost so they don't go bet on this horse for me day is over I go upstairs drop my stuff off we run across the street and by the time I get to the book orb has gone from 125 down to 75 and as I'm making the bet I turn to them I go you know this horse is going to win the race right and they all laugh and they go whatever so fast forward, production company calls. They say, you want to be part of this reality show, X, Y, and Z. The beginning for me anyway was the Derby. We go down there and it's a sloppy mess. And I'm still mortified that I, you know, I'm wearing a golf shirt on Millionaire's Row. I won't even be able to go to Millionaire's Row this year and I'm on the goddamn show. Orb wins, damn near pass out cash the future ticket so two future tickets in a row which you know and and we're not talking future bets that were a month in advance they were a few months out i felt really good feeling really good about myself i apologize if you can hear that in the background that is the ice maker in the house that i'm in in lexington and that's really the beginning of everything as far as professional is concerned because that year later on show ends end up getting hooked up with the racing form and we go on from there. I promise I'll start picking the pace up now if we're going to try to keep it to 30-ish. This will probably be a little bit longer though. 2014. Now, if the back-to-back future bets were not ridiculous enough, week of, I'm sitting on an 85-to-1 ticket on a horse called Hopportunity. I'm looking for three in a row, and I believe he's instilled, installed, instilled, installed as the second choice on the morning line behind California Chrome. The other thing that's important about this year, for me anyway, it's the first year that I do any legitimate work, meaning working the event. Um, I got 
hooked up with Zach Montoya down at Mohegan Sun. He asked if I wanted to be part of a panel for the entire day. Went up there with Mike Manansky. I believe Rich Eng was up there with us as well. Great day. Had a blast. But a few days before, opportunity scratches. I'm devastated. Devastated. Now I got to scramble to find who I'm going to go with because I was I was absolutely convinced, and in hindsight, I was absolutely wrong that opportunity was going to beat California Chrome. But now I've got to scramble and find out. Okay, well my horse is gone. Who the hell am I going to pick now? And I end up landing on Metal Count for Dale Romans, Robbie Alvarado, and he did not have the best of trips. He got stymied at a pretty critical juncture at the top of the lane, and he was never going to threaten to win, but I think he probably could have come close to hitting the board with a clean trip. Enough for me to really like him or earmark him as a Belmont horse if they bring him back. Now, in this time between, I end up going to New York, a little bit of a test run with the racing form. They hire me my first sort of official event, I guess was the Preakness technically, but on site would have been the Belmont. And the two horses that I really loved in the Belmont were one, Commissioner, and two, Metal Count. I wanted to try to beat California Crumb. So I used both of those horses, and they both finish inside the top four, I believe. Tonalist wins the race, um, and it was from then on, that was just the beginning of everything. So 2014 while it didn't work out for me from a pick standpoint, ended up being kind of a turning point for me personally and professionally because this is when this whole crazy ride began. 2015, uh, in many cases, could be argued for me personally the, uh, I mean, to this point anyway, it's probably the, the, one of the peaks professionally. Because I end up getting hooked up with ESPN to cover the Triple Crown for Sports Center, and leading into it, the hot horses American Pharaoh, um, stating the obvious. But what he did in the Arkansas Derby, he deserved to be the favorite. But this is a really good group of horses: American Pharaoh, Firing Line, Dortmund, Keen Ice. You know, th- these are all runners who ended up being proper stars along with the horse that I picked I picked Frosted and I thought Frosted ran a very very credible race to finish fourth he was not embarrassed and we know what Frosted turned into I've said a million times I believe he was only allowed to actually truly do what he wanted to do about one time in his career and that was go one turn when he put the boots to a eh, kind of a mediocre field in the Met Mile a couple years later. But to cover this for Sports Center, and also, I mean, just keep in mind, too, I'm 25 years old, right? Does that sound right? Yeah, I'm 25. And I'm thinking, what the hell am I supposed to do now? Where does it go from here? Because Pharaoh goes to Baltimore, he wins. I'm there covering it. And then three weeks later, he goes to Belmont and he wins. And it, it, the, whole, the whole six weeks was out of control. And, and it's, it's hard not to think in your head, like, I've, I've already peaked. It, it's not going to get any, any better than this. The, the, the Triple Crown is the, the end-all, be-all in horse racing. 
and and here we go. It's it's already happened. So that was actually kind of like a mental, not hurdle, but some gymnastics that personally I needed to kind of figure out in the years following that because, you know, to to think that professionally, whatever profession you're in, it doesn't get any better than when you're that young and, and you know, for just calling calling it like it is, I don't I don't know. I don't know what's what. I've been in New York for two years and not even two years. I'm just trying to figure life out. And if professionally I've already peaked, what the hell am I supposed to do for the next 65 years? Or not 65 years, 45 years. So I had a little bit of an existential crisis after this of like, what, what now? 2016. Nyquist wins the race. Exaggerator runs a good second. Gunrunner a good third. While this was not one of my my victories, I will say this is one of my, I think, better opinions, given his price and given how he ran. I had picked sudden breaking news in this race to win the Derby because I didn't know if Nyquist could get the distance. Exaggerator, it seemed like he needed everything to go his way. Gunrunner was just kind of goofy, swapping leads. I'm like, boy, he, he's his own worst enemy. Little did I know he'd turn into arguably the best horse, not named Flightline, for the past 20 years. Mo Heyman was a good horse, but it didn't seem like he really had, a, you know, moved on. And I just thought, sudden breaking news, if this thing heats up, he's going to come from the back of the pack. I thought his Arkansas Derby was sneaky good, and why not take a shot at almost 25 to 1? And he finished fifth. So I... I can say, you know, I felt pretty good about that all around. This is another race that ended up being pretty solid as far as the actual racehorses are concerned. Not awesome, but solid enough. We know we know Gunrunner, but More Spirit ended up becoming a grade one winner. Creator came back to win the Belmont. Um, Exaggerator won a couple more grade ones. You know, this was a pretty, pretty decent group of horses, big picture. Whitmore, by the way. <laughs> Whitmore finished 19th, finished last in the race, or second last. Um, but he didn't, he wasn't a route horse, and he turned into one of the most likable race horses of the past handful of years. 2017. 2017. Not great. Not great for me. Always dreaming wins. And at the top of the lane, I thought I was a winner when I backed Irish Warcry. And he came to an absolute stop, if my mind is serving me correct. He just looked like he couldn't lose the race. And not only did he lose, he got, he got absolutely waxed. And I guess I can say in hindsight, you know, maybe he was a little bit of uh, fool's gold, but he ran so well in some other big races that I don't feel terrible about it. Was it a good pick? No. But I've had worse. Certainly had better. You know, it is what it is. He came into the race looking good on the heels of the Wood Memorial effort. I didn't love Always Dreaming. I didn't really love anybody else, honestly. You know, I, th I thought many of them had their sort of flaws, and Irish War Cry was fast. Now, in hindsight, taking him at 9-2 to two as the the narrow second choice yeah that was probably not 
not a great call. But these are the kind of races that you look at and you go, sometimes you're going to be right, sometimes you're going to be wrong. And this one, was it a disaster? No, but it wasn't good. But I don't feel terrible about it. He made sense going in in my eyes anyway, and even looking back at his PPs. I, I don't think he was a crazy horse to back in a spot like that, and unfortunately it just didn't work out. So Irish War Cry was the horse that I backed in 2017. 2018, I will go to my grave saying that this was not a bad pick, despite the fact that Mendelssohn finished dead last. I, in my heart of hearts, Mendelssohn was not a bad horse. And the, the UAE Derby stench has, has made a lot of folks look at it and say, terrible opinion, terrible opinion. Well, he, he was a good horse. He ran good races here in the United States. I think he's going to be a pretty solid stallion, big picture. And I can't help but get similar vibes to that of Dermasodagake this year. I don't know if Dermasodagake long-term is going to be Mendelssohn better or worse but if you pick him objectively I don't think anyone has the right to sit there well I mean no one has the right to say any stupid shit but logically that horse ticks a lot of boxes in a year like this if you want to argue the price so I backed Mendelssohn at almost 7 to 1 if Dermasodagake is 10 to 1 Maybe it's a little bit light, but the pick itself, nobody can shit on that. You can't. Not this year. You shouldn't anyway. Oh, and I'm saying I picked Mendelssohn. I didn't pick Mendelssohn. Did, did I pick Mendelssohn? The only reason I'm even bringing this up because I... So, all right, here's a story. Back to future bets. Following his run in the Los Al Futurity, I loved, instilled regard for Jerry Hollendorfer. I can't remember which one I, like, sort of air quotes officially picked. But I had a giant future ticket on instilled regard. And we get to the gate, and he goes off. He was the longest shot on the board. He was 85 to 1. Oh, this horse had... A rough trip in New Orleans. I don't remember which race it was. The Risen, probably the Risen Star. And then they ran him in the San Anita Derby, and I sound like a broken record, but you just don't, you don't have great success in Southern California with a horse like this is running style. And then it rained. And granted, Justify happened to be in the field and Good Magic, and this is another field that was pretty solid, pretty salty, big picture. Fino Rosso was in there. Forenze Fire turned into a nice sprinter. Flame Away was a decent turf runner. Um, so, and, and Mendelssohn. I th I think I picked Instilled Regard. Put it this way, it's one of the two. Instilled Regard was much more of a heart selection. Mendelssohn was, I thought, made all the sense in the world. But Instilled Regard, when he's warming up on the far turn, and he got stopped a little bit at a critical point, but not bad. I said, oh my goodness, he's actually running. He is running. And he was finishing really, really well. Now, he ended up becoming a grade one winner on grass. Audible was also in this race, by the way. Um, so, either one of those, I, and maybe some of you listening remember officially who I picked. 
the amount of shit I've taken for Mendelssohn or, ta- or defending him, it probably ended up being him. But in still regard, I had a, a pretty healthy future bet on. And I, I want to say I had picked him. But basically, I feel good about either of those. Because I know Mendelssohn was a good racehorse. And in still regard, you know, he ended up flourishing on a different surface. But he was much better, certainly better than the 85 to 1 odds that he went off at that day. Oh, and by the way, Justify went on to win Triple Crown. 2019. <laughs> Country House. Uh, I'm going to be honest with you. I don't recall who I picked in this race. The only thing I vividly remember was doing the the preview for the race for the Daily Racing Forum, and it was me, and it was Ilman, and it was Beer, and we got to War of Will, who I don't know if he was on the rail or whatever. But I said, you know, in a smart-ass way, but I meant it and I I believed it. I said, War of Will, he won't win the Derby, but that's okay. He'll win the Preakness because of all the stuff that happened with the Louisiana Derby. And I just thought kind of the ground broke from beneath him and, you know, a few different things. That he he needed that race. He was going to be better in Baltimore. He had a dream trip on the best part of the track in Baltimore. But it felt good that I kind of called that shot basically a couple weeks out. I don't remember who I picked in this race. Maybe it was win-win-win. Who ended up being a grade one winner going shorter. Oh, no, I think it was Roadster. I think it was Roadster who ended up finishing 15th for Baffert on the heels of the Santa Anita Derby Vic. I think it was a Santa Anita Derby win. I can promise you I wanted no part of maximum security, um, absolutely no part of Country House, was not really ever a huge Code of Honor fan. Tacitus, Tacitus is Tacitus. Improbable was a decent horse. But the thing I remember most about that derby, well, and by my standards, who ended up being one of my favorites over the past handful of years, but yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure it was Roadster. That one is right up there with one of the worst picks for a Kentucky Derby from me over the past 10, 12 years. 2020, COVID. The race is run in September. I just thought Tis the Law was better than everyone. So I backed him. And I thought three to five was fair odds. He went off at seven to 10, and he got beaten by Authentic. And the only saving grace for me in this race is that I came right back and I smashed Authentic in the Breeders' Cup Classic. Because he had paired up buyer tops in the Derby and the Preakness leading into it. His thoroughgraph numbers were beautiful leading into the Classic. I just thought, bang, this is it. Right to the front, come and catch me. They couldn't do it. So I was wrong about Tis the Law backing him at 3-5. to five. But big picture, it ended up working out for me selfishly because Authentic went and did what he did at Keeneland a few weeks. Yeah, really, actually a few weeks later. 2021, this still, uh, I'm not trying to open up a can of worms here for a number of folks. Um, I had a giant future bet. Stop me if you've heard this before. Giant future bet alive to the horse that was the winner, officially. Unofficially, he finished second, though. Mandaloon. Um... I'm watching the race. We had just moved into our house. 
a few months earlier, okay? And I had a radio call to do right before the race. I'm downstairs in my office. You know, I've got the TVs on the whole nine. Wife's at the in-law's house. They live in town. And they played some game where they're all, you know, everybody picks horses or whatever. And I said, I'll be right over after the race. And I'm watching this thing play out, and it's the ideal trip. I would say it's arguably the best ride Flo's ever given, and it just didn't work because the horse tipped out at the top of the lane. And with NBC, you get that shot as they turn for home. You're kind of looking almost not down the stretch from the top, but in a way, you get to kind of see that as the horses come around the far turn. I start losing my mind saying, you know, go on with it. Go right on by. And he just never did. And that, in a way, ended up kind of being Mandaloon in a nutshell. He was not best that day. Uh, he was not best in the Haskell. And somehow he ends up with both of those victories to his name. Medina Spirit was best here. Uh, I guess it was Hot Rod Charlie was probably best in the Haskell. Um, and this ended up being a pretty good group of horses. Not a not a brilliant group, but a pretty solid group of runners. You know, again, Medina Spirit, Mandaloon, we know Hot Rod Charlie, Essential Quality, Midnight Bourbon. You know, these horses were all proper runners that would show up and, and could do a number of things. But So I guess technically this was another derby winner, but... Not one that I feel particularly good about because I didn't collect a dime on him, which is also silly because it just, it, we're not going to go back down that road. Mandaloon wins, <laughs> which gets us to last year, 2022. Rich Strike wins the race, and it it's probably one of the funnier or more interesting derbies that there will ever be for me because I'm in the hospital room my kid is probably I don't know I'm trying to do quick math 17 hours old somewhere thereabouts 18 hours old 19 hours old uh, and all the nurses are crowded around and they go who is that horse I picked Taba by the way who it was too much too soon but I don't feel bad about that because I think it was arguably the best horse in the entire crop and they go, who is this horse? Was he the favorite, the the winner? I go, I, I have no idea who that is. And then I take a look and I go, he wasn't even, even in the race two days ago. And we all know the Rich Strike story. So was it a lucrative derby for me? No, but I feel good knowing that, uh, you know, yeah, it was a little bit too much too soon and maybe it's something to keep in mind going forward. But Tabu was a good horse. He still is a good horse. He still has a chance, I think, to be the best older horse in the United States here in 2023. And my pick for the 2023 Derby is TBD. Like I said at the top, I'm going to be off next week, come back the following week, week of Derby, and I'll give you top picks or thoughts anyway for both the Kentucky Oaks and the 149th Kentucky Derby. So there's a little walk down memory lane. Let me know about any of these races and any of your histories, for better or for worse, preferably both. Don't just be somebody that sits there and, you know, loves on themselves. Be real. Talk about some screw-ups. Talk about some bad opinions. We're all human. We all pick terrible runners from time to time. It happens. 
the name of the game. We're going to pick a lot more losers than we are winners. Let me know beneath the video player on YouTube or on Twitter at Bernie or underscore Matt. One last time, no show next week. Be back week of Derby. We'll go over Oaks and Derby, and then we'll take another little bit of a breather after that. Until next week, best of luck however you play, whatever you play, and wherever you play. This has been episode 157 of the